Hello and welcome to Really Good Appears. My name is Gary O'Brien and this is where I get some of my very good friends on to chat about and discuss all sorts of movies. And joining me today for the first time, it's Dan Seaford. He's here to talk about the 1979 neo-noir thriller, The So stick around, we hope you enjoy it. Mr. Dan, or should I refer you to, but, or should I refer to you by your correct title, Dr. Dan, how are we? I'm very good. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, Talk about f- China Syndrome. The China Syndrome. Yeah. Um, first of all, great to have you. Uh, it's been it's been long overdue to finally get you on the pod. You've uh, you've had to sit by and listen to Alice recording hers in your in your apartment, but now you're finally on. So it's great to have you. Yeah, I was in the other room. I was like, Alice, you're forgetting about this metaphor. <laughs> they they live in the basement in the toilets above them. <laughs> So now I can add my <laughs> so, yeah. two cents into this. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I, I was expecting, I'm expecting an Alice cameo. Yeah, Alice, how are you? <laughs> so I, she, I, I had a feeling. we were watching the movie last night. She only made it about halfway through, so she can't interrupt us about. Uh, ah, okay. Interesting. So um, for anyone who, who may be not, uh, wondering, uh, the reason I'm referring to you as Dr. Dan is because you're a nuclear engineer? Yeah, that's correct. So originally... So, I first watched China Syndrome, ironically, thinking it was going to be an awful movie, and I could tear it to bits, technically. Then I watched it, and one, it's actually a good movie, in terms of a thriller. And also, technically, I'm like, you know, it's ambiguous enough that I'm like, oh, this seems kind of realistic. Yeah. The only thing that I'm like, that is total bullshit, is the actual idea of the China Syndrome. So so what is the China Syndrome? About, and not so much as the movie, but just the concept of it. The concept of it is that... If you have some sort of accident at a nuclear power plant, the fuel is going to melt, and it's so hot, it's over a 1,000 degrees Celsius at that point, it's going to melt through the reactor pressure vessel, through the building, through the ground. It's going to reach the water table and somehow explode like a nuclear bomb, and then contaminate this massive area. And that's why nuclear power plants aren't safe. But I'm like, how did that even work? It doesn't even make any sense. Why would it explode? So... That's the part where I'm like, that's bullshit. But the rest of it, like how the accident um, happens, I'm like, that sounds kind of reasonable. Yeah, because I knew nothing. I knew nothing about this movie when you suggested it, uh, because I know you, you were kind of suggesting a few others. Um, but then you suggested this one because you wanted to tie it to like, obviously, um, nuclear power somehow. And you suggested it's like, what is this? Never heard of it. Looked it up and I saw it's been like nominated for four Oscars. And it's like on a few lists as like best movies ever. And I was like, I've what I I should I haven't seen heard of this but I really should have and then I watched it and I was like oh yeah yeah this is a good movie and it, I feel like it's educational for the listeners at home and that's why we've got Dr. Dan to explain it all to us yeah it actually, it actually is shockingly a good movie and you can understand why it influenced so many people and maybe if the audience doesn't know it's probably one of the most timely movies that ever happened because it came out less than two weeks before the three mile island accident in Pennsylvania in the US and it blew everyone's minds so then people were rushing to the theater to also see it and I think it probably helped solidify many people's opinions about nuclear power for for decades so all like the baby boomer generation who was alive in the 70s I bet their ideas about nuclear power are heavily influenced by this movie it'd be like if you know Contagion everyone was re-watching it with with COVID if Contagion came out like 10 days before everyone went to lockdown (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how lucky would that have been that's how lucky yeah. this movie was yeah because I, I saw stuff like uh, people didn't believe the accident had actually happened uh, they just thought it was a promotional stunt for the movie so uh, the studio actually had to like stop showing it in a couple of theatres to show that it, like they, they were like oh no this is not tied to us at all we need to we need to show that we are not on board with this whatsoever um, but yeah and it was it was um so yeah, the movie's basically about a, a nuclear incident. So for anyone that might not know what the movie's about, like myself before uh, you suggested, do you care to explain both what the movie's about and kind of why why this one, I suppose? This movie, because it's a good movie, actually. And I think it's a very interesting, what, I just, what we were just talking about, that a movie could actually impact society like that. And you can imagine if it hadn't come out and hadn't fascinated everyone, like stimulated their imaginations, the world might look different. Many countries might look like France, where they have 80% of the electricity coming from nuclear power. If everyone didn't get in their head that this was dangerous. So, or if the movie was more poorly done, 
and it wasn't believable, then it maybe wouldn't have stimulated everyone's imagination as well. Yeah, very true. So, yeah, I think that's one of the most interesting things about it. It's also a good movie. Everyone can go yeah. out and watch it. But basically, it's about... It starts off with uh, a journalist who's played by Jane Fonda. Her character's name is Kimberly. And actually, the first five, mo- five minutes of the movie, you're like, wait, is this Anchorman? <laughs> yeah, it really does give you that vibe. Yeah, it's in the 70s, uh, in a news station, there's like an attractive female reporter who's trying to get away from fluff pieces about the zoo and do hardcore reporting. And she has a bunch of sexist male colleagues. So it's basically the plot line of Anchorman at the start. My God, do I want Anchorman 3 to be about a nuclear disaster now? <laughs> <laughs> so, then, so then Kimberly gets pulled in to do a fluff piece about the nuclear power plant. So they're going around. And so, for instance, I was saying this movie is real, really realistic. So you can see, like, as she pulls up to the power plant, it's a very realistic outline of what it looks like. There's this big uh, concrete building. It's called the containment building. And that's so if the reactor explodes, everything is contained inside this containment building. And they're really robust. After 9-11, for instance, the U.S. government was worried that people would fly planes into these containment buildings to attack the reactors. And they did all sorts of analyses and showed, like, these things can support missile blasts and planes and all that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. When, uh, when I was a kid um, south of Miami, a big hurricane came and destroyed the whole town. And the only thing that was left standing basically was a nuclear power plant. Um, so it pulls up. You see this containment building. You've seen the turbine hall as well. Then they go in, and she's doing a tour. And they're in the turbine hall, and it's really loud. You hear this big humming noise. That's also really realistic. You can't hear anything in there. And then they get the tour... And she's getting, she's asking these fluff questions to the, I don't know, plant manager guy. And he's kind of joking with her and he's being really witty and, and eventually get to the control room. And by chance, when they're in the control room, an incident happens. And the incident is a combination of some mechanical failure and human error. And they're looking around and then, so there's Jane Fonda, there's her cameraman, um, who's played by Michael Michael Douglas. Douglas. Yeah, his name is Richard. God, that was... Like, just to see him so young, it was scary. Like, to see him so young and for this not to be a, you know, MCU de-aging technology or anything like that was wild. Yeah. And his character is basically, like, the essence of a grown-up hippie, in my opinion. Because so now at yeah. that point, he's, it's 1979, he's 35. So now he's, like, an adult guy who used to be a hippie. But he still has all of this ideology where he doesn't trust the man. So yeah. he's in there at the nuclear power plant. He's like, I'm going to dig up some dirt because I know these people are, <laughs> are scummy out. They're scummy capitalists out to get corporate profits. So he's in there and they go, okay, you can't record this because of security, blah, blah, blah. So he sneakily puts his camera down and records it at his waist what's happening in the control room. And then the third main character is this guy, Jack Lemon, who's the shift supervisor. And he's basically the boss of everyone in the control room telling them which buttons to push and valves to open so then they're in there and then suddenly the whole power plant shutters and there's this big shaking and you see jack lemon being like what the heck's going on and then slowly he gets more and more stressed out and this whole movie i think he carries it his acting in this like his character development and you can see the stress in his face and he's sweating he's the one who basically carries this movie through there so he he's freaking out and then slowly you can tell like he's losing control of the situation. He doesn't really know what's going on. And the big thing that they look at is the water level in the reactor. So there's one gauge where it says the water level is some number. Um, And it looks fine. So the big thing you care about the water level is that when the core becomes uncovered, you're not removing heat anymore. Mm. So if you're not removing heat, the fuel gets too hot and it can melt. Yeah. So they, another thing that happens is they scram the reactor Scramming the reactors when you insert control rods and you stop the fission chain reaction. And there's this urban legend about where the word scram comes from. And what we often tell people is that scram is an acronym that stands for safety control rod axe man. Okay. So the original reactor, which was a pile of graphite and uranium that was put underneath a stadium in Chicago in 1940s, 1942. In order to shut it off, there was a guy with a bucket of cadmium attached to a rope. And he would cut the rope with an axe in order to shut the <laughs> reactor off. So that's the urban legend that it's safety control rod axe, man. Um, I think it really stands for a safety control rod activating mechanism. 
but Axeman sounds cooler. Oh, it sounds so much better. Like, I'm telling you, I, I would have paid way more attention in physics uh, in college if, if more things started off with a guy with an axe in a bucket. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. So they, they scram the reactor, and then, so they're looking at the water gauge, and they're like, it's fine. And then there's another water gauge that shows the level actually going down. And then they, the guy taps it, and then the needle, I don't know, comes unstuck, and the water goes down on the reading. And then Jack, this, guy, this character, Jack Lemon, freaks out. He's like, fuck! <laughs> so then um, they narrowly avert the disaster where they figure out what's going on. What they probably used is something called the ECCS, the Emergent, Emergency Cooling System, where you can just inject water into it. That's not from the main auxiliary pipe, uh, auxiliary system. And that can help um, recover the core with water so that it doesn't melt down. So they narrowly avert this disaster. The reporter has recorded this whole thing. And they run back to the, the studio. And they go to the superiors like, we have this big story. There was an accident at the nuclear power plant. And um, the, the higher-ups, the bigwigs at this uh, media company, are, they basically cover it up. Because they're friends. They, they're one, they're afraid of the legal repercussions because you're not supposed to record in the power plant. And it also seems like maybe there's some corporate stuff going on where uh, they're afraid about the company's profits if blah, 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 blah. So it's yeah. classic 70s stuff. I, I think, in a way, this movie is really, it's almost like a time capsule of what people were like in the late 70s, like grown-up hippies. There's this distrust of establishment of the man, like the media, uh this electric company, and also um, journalism. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the They're trifecta. all like, to hide stuff, to make money, and they don't care about society's well-being. So it's really tapping or really plucking that string of what these what uh, people are like. People are like 75 now, what they were really thinking in the late 70s, early 70s. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like a time capsule. And then there's like random things happening in the movie. Did you see that there was a commercial for microwave ovens on? Yeah, at the at the very end. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> and it showed them, it, this must have been the big thing in 1979, that there's a turntable in the microwave. Which is wild, because I could, I, I always thought, this slight tangent, I always thought microwaves had the turntable in it. Yeah. Did you have to, email in, boomers, did you ever have to, like, man, like turn off the microwave and, like, rotate it and then yeah. put it back in and, return, like, turn it back on again? Yeah, they're rotating their lasagna inside the microwave by hand. <laughs> wild. Um, yeah, that's. I love that. That's like the like we've literally just seen like you know one of the most destructive forces man has ever created, and then at the same time it's like, <laughs> ooh, microwave with a turntable in it. The future is here and now. That was really funny. <laughs> so yeah, so that's how the movie starts off. The um, so that's that's the scene. There's a dangerous nuclear power plant, and there's two reporters. Or so there's um, Jane Fonda, whose character is Kimberly Wells. She's a reporter. She wants to get into hardcore journalism, and she thinks she has a good story, that the power plant is dangerous, and they're trying to cover it up. And then you have this uh, character played by Mike, Michael Douglas. His name's Richard, who's kind of the activist, uh, hippie sort of guy. And then there's Jack Lemon, the shift supervisor. Also playing a guy called Jack. So it just, I think it just got to the stage in his career where it's like, ah, just write me a character name with the same name as me, and... I can't. I can't remember this stuff. Just call me Jack. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I think. I think like the big thing for me was I was kind of expecting. It's weird to see the accident happy happen so early on, but nothing actually happened. Like you know, when you look at something like the Chernobyl series, where it's literally like big explosion and it's metaphorically and literally the fallout after that, mm-hmm. uh, and how the car- Whereas this, it was like nothing happens, but it's almost the inaction of people is the dramatic thing about like how are people not reacting to this and how are people not like looking for solutions and trying to stop it from happening again and the performances in it uh, across the board uh, but mainly like the three names you mentioned there Jack uh, Jane Fonda Jack Lemmon and Michael Douglas it's just incredible like I think they were I don't know if they were all were but I think a few of them were definitely nominated for Oscars for this for sure and your man Jack Lemmon like I know he's a big I, I think he was nominated for something like eight Oscars and one two, and I hadn't seen many of his movies, but in this he's just incredible. Like you say, the, the 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 development he goes from from being a character who's just like ah, it's fine, don't worry about it, I fixed it, to then realizing there's a problem and really trying to stress his point that there's a problem and it needs to be fixed. Yeah, like he starts off as the company man who who's like, I've been working on this my whole life. This reactor's my baby, and I'm totally confident that nothing can ever happen. We have 
and it's true, the nuclear power plants are built with the idea of defense in depth. And they even use that word at one point in the movie. So that's what I mean when I was like, this is actually technically very sound. They definitely got someone on board who was part of the nuclear industry and could put in these words that make like that are actually used. So there's a point where he goes, we have defense in depth. There's backups to backups. There's auxiliaries. There's all of these things. And um, so, he, yeah, he is the company man and believes in the reactor. And you can s slowly see his confidence and faith erode over the course of the movie. And he becomes paranoid as well about um, the company, about the reactor. And you can see him, like, slowly, uh, the anxiety builds up, the tension yeah. builds up, his posture, like, degrades. I don't know if you notice, like, his neck starts stooping like this. He's walking around, oh, yeah. like, hunched over <laughs> as he gets more and more stressed. I was like, when watching the movie, I'm like, this guy's a good actor. He really sells yeah. this. Uh, and uh, and who else? Like uh, Michael Douglas is a great job because he's just like, like you say, it's such. A, I had it on my notes here about how he was like he hated the man and stuff like that. But I love that you were able to just be like, oh well, clearly he was in his twenties, you know, at the end of the sixties and such, and now obviously he's grown up and stuff. So that makes so so much sense why he's so like anti-establishment because you kind of see that from the beginning because um he doesn't really work for the for the station like um yeah he refuses uh, to like get a job a real job. Because he's like, I don't want to be an employee and be told what to do. So yeah. he stays as a freelancer, but also hates hates that he's a freelancer and hates Jane Fonda for the fact that she gets a real job. Yeah, and what I also was kind of impressed with was that Michael Douglas produced this as well. Oh, uh, he's a producer, yeah. Uh, and then I was looking at like some of the stuff where they imagine, um, originally that Richard Dreyfus was supposed to do it, uh, but he pulled out and Michael Douglas decided to step in to do it because he was the one producing it. He's like, fuck it, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, and uh, one of the other things I thought was interesting was he apparently, uh, he, to prepare for his role, he followed around a cameraman and did rounds of various, you know, televisions, like networks and stuff like that to be able to like, you know, get like the hang of how they reacted and stuff like that which I thought was kind of cool that's very funny Qu question for you was it just me or did Jane Fonda at all times look like Amy Adams for this movie <laughs> is it just the red hair with the I don't know I don't know what it was I don't know if it was giving me Lois Lane vibes from Man of Steel or what it was but I just couldn't shake the fact that she looked like Amy Adams for most of this movie it was very very disconcerting she was giving me April O'Neil vibes I don't know did you ah, yeah. grow up a big Ninja Turtles fan Oh, what if the nuclear radiation like caused some turtles nearby? And here we go. It's a, it's a, it's a prequel. They never released it. <laughs> really? Um, she made the Ninja Turtles. She found Splinter, sprinkled the ooze on them. <laughs> Something tells me Michael Douglas wouldn't produce a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. But look, we can always hope and dream. But talk um, about Jane Fonda's performance as well, because I. When I rewatched this, I looked on Wikipedia and saw she was nominated for Best Actress. And the whole movie, oh. I was like, I don't really see... She's just kind of being a normal actress. But at the end, before we get to there, she has that performance where she's really uh, upset about what's happening. And then yeah. I was like, okay, I see it. She makes it really believable how stressed out she is and upset she is. So then I was like, okay, yeah. I can see why she was nominated there. Um, yeah, and it's, 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 it's crazy. I, I know we can get to it eventually, but like how... Like herself and Jack Lemmon pretty much like just it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds to that like last that last kind of portion of the movie the, the last act I suppose where it's just like that's where I just fell in love with this movie and it's crazy to think Alice uh, stopped stopped watching the movie halfway through uh, hi Alice <laughs> we're watching um, tonight <laughs> you should it's really good um, you can listen to, you can listen to me and Dan talk screen. about that <laughs> yeah for those who don't have access to the Zoom, I'm getting flipped off on Zoom. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, the ending is, is is phenomenal, and like you say, it's kind of it's earned because of how we see the transformation of uh, Jack Lemmon's character, but also um, Jane Fonda's character, where she goes from this like, "Hey, put me on, put me on the you know the, the news desk. I, I could be a great news anchor." To where it's like. They're just like, find a good story, find a good story. And not only does she find a good story, but she like chases it down with the fullest of intent and determination to be able to be like, yeah. not only just, I think she kind of forgets her whole quest to be on the news desk. She's like, no, the people need to know about this yeah. story and I'm going to do anything I can on my power to. And then her higher ups like have no choice but to let her go cover the story too. Because mm. that's how Which good is, of a yeah. story it is. So the story gets squashed by the media company. And then, so the next thing is she goes home. And this is another thing where I was like, this yeah. is a 70s time capsule. 
First thing she does, she picks up this massive tortoise. What the fuck she's doing with a pet tortoise? Oh my god, she is April O'Neil! Oh! <laughs> she's got a big giant turtle. No wonder. I, was, I was looking at it and be like, is that tortoise real? Because it's not really wiggling around. No. I was waiting for her to feed her the lettuce, but like... I think at one point maybe its head moved, but then I was also saying to myself, she's really carrying this tortoise haphazardly. Yeah, That's probably a heavy, heavy guy. What was her character doing with that? Was like, you know, having a cat and a dog not a big thing in the 70s? I don't know. You're from America. Like, you I don't know. Maybe, maybe they know. wanted to show her being like spunky or um, yeah. outside of the box. She has a tortoise. She's not normal. I have no yeah. idea what they were going for there. But <laughs> this whole scene, she's carrying around a big tortoise. Maybe she's allergic to like fur and they had to find her like a non-fur animal as a pet. So they were like, I don't know, fucking tortoise. <laughs> We have a plastic tortoise. It could have just been we have a plastic tortoise lying around. Yeah. From this other movie we just did. So she walks around in her house and she plays her answering machine, which is also when I was watching, I thinking like, man, it's a lost, whole lost era of humanity. We left messages for someone on their on their voicemail. Now yeah. I would never leave a voice message. No, I was gonna say now what I do is I ring a person if they doesn't an- they don't answer, I'll send them a text being like, here, answer. What are you doing? It's hardly not that important. Talk you, to me, please. We've totally lost, like, getting harassed by your mom. <laughs> Call me back. Or leaving messages over and over again. No, usually it's like, I find mothers will just keep ringing, and then you're not too sure if something serious has happened, and you're just <laughs> like, please leave a voice message, because I'm starting to get worried. Yeah, so then she, she gets a message from um, Michael Douglas, and he's like, you're an asshole. <laughs> you're an yeah. asshole, Kimberly. I can't believe you went with the man and helped... Squash this story that nuclear power plant's gonna explode. So I think that makes her feel guilty. And then the next day, his character Richard goes and steals the film. Mm. And then the the man at the corporate machine says, "Like we're gonna fire you unless you go find that film from him." So now she's forced back into the story. So in in general, her character would have, I think, at this point, given up. Yeah, she w- would have been squashed by the man because she wanted to keep her job. But she's forced yeah. back into the storyline because they want her to get the thing, put it back in the vault so that they don't get all charged with a felony. So to a non-American yeah. audience, a felony is a big deal because that stays on your record forever and you lose certain rights. So, for instance, in most states, if you have a felony, you can't vote anymore. Oh. So it's a it's like a big deal as a title. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I really enjoyed seeing her character just kind of like just with all the ter- determination she had and even there's that scene i don't know i might be skipping ahead slightly where there's that like network party or something and then one of the like the execs or the man comes over and it's just like hey like maybe you can get us this film and you're doing great and we'll put you on air but like not ready yet but just get us the film and she kind of he nearly sees her as like weak and that like she'll do what he says but like she nearly she literally goes off and does the opposite and like yeah. exposes them which is great going back to anchorman <laughs> you know the scene where he goes cannonball Oh my god, it is this. Oh my god, Tankerman is this movie. I just Do you think they that. watched it and were like, can we make this funny? Well, like I'd say, I'd, I'd say the uh, Will Ferrell and Adam McKay probably did look at like 70s journalism movies and saw, like, watch this. Yeah, her character, one of the themes is like she's a feminist and wants to have, like, not be treated as the woman who does, pe- like, little pieces about birthday parties and things like that, which is exactly like an Anchorman. <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh gee, yeah. Because the first thing we see it is it's live wiregrams or something like that, yeah. where you send people. This fucking this is outdated more than anything. You send someone to sing like a birthday message or an anniversary message to someone. I swear to God, if someone showed, if someone sent me someone to sing at me, I would, I would go all within my power of just never. I Alice, I swear to God, I swear to God, if you send me, if you, to be honest, I'd be impressed. Here? <laughs> I'd be very surprised if Alice could find someone to like, you know, if those companies still existed. I'll say yeah, Rory. A... <laughs> I'll be like, hey, Rory, <laughs> need a favor. <laughs> oh, no. So then but yeah, uh... she's thrust back into this conflict and she has to go find uh, Richard, who's stolen the film. So she thinks he's gone maybe out to the nuclear power plant. So she goes out there and ends up at the local bar, which is a tiki bar. I don't know if that's a classic 70s thing. Actually, it might be a classic 70s thing. I just watched Goodfellas. And there's a lot of scenes at a tiki bar there oh, as well. Yeah. So maybe tiki bars were really in back then. So she goes to the tiki bar, and by chance, who else is there? Um, 
is the shift supervisor, Jack, and they get into a conversation. So I think it starts with Jack basically wanting to have sex with her. He like sees her across the bar and he's like, hmm, that's that uh, ginger reporter lady from the news. Yeah. And he even makes a move at her at the end where it's like, wow, it's really late. Um, I don't know if you should go home. Maybe you should just uh, have sex with me. <laughs> He's not, he's not that blunt, but yeah. He yeah, but he's is. like, you should just uh, come sleep at my house. But then he, he's great in that he gives himself the when she when he realizes that she's not going to do that, and he goes, "Oh, but yeah, you were looking for your friend, weren't you?" And as if like my my ego is not hurt because you were clearly very busy doing that thing you came in here and lied about. So yeah. look, look, I don't want to, I don't want to bother you. Clearly, you're busy. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have time for you to say no to my advances. She she starts talking to him and like kicks into reporter mode. It starts asking the hard questions. And it starts off him having this kind of bravado where he's like, the nuclear power plant is infallible. It will never break. We have yeah. defense in depth. And the idea of defense in depth is there's like layers upon layers and upon layers of reasons why the public will never have anything exposed, like in terms of radiation. So the first thing is like always human, like you designed it well. Um, you do routine maintenance, that kind of thing. And then there's actual engineering mechanisms. So the first thing is that the fuel is encapsulated in cladding. So if something happens to the fuel... It's stuck inside this metal. And if something happens to that metal, it's stuck inside the reactor pressure vessel. And if something happens to the reactor pressure vessel, it's stuck inside the containment building. And nothing is ever actually going to get out. So, for instance, in Three Mile Island, which happened 10 days after this, the fuel melted, the cladding melted, but it stayed inside the pressure vessel. So no one had any exposure of radioactivity. And if the reactor pressure vessel had failed, it would have stayed inside the containment. So yeah. a real nuclear power plant is very safe. Even when something goes very wrong, like with TMI, there's no actual threat to the public. There's no threat of China syndrome actually happening. I think a lot of people imagine yeah. nuclear accidents going to explode like a, a mushroom cloud. But that's really not going to happen. Even it's like Fukushima exploded, but the power, like the reactor didn't explode. What exploded was hydrogen that was made over the course of time inside the reactor. And yeah, you, that's a different topic. But anyway, she goes into report. I was, I, I was starting to take notes there. Jesus, you nearly got me into college out there. She, she goes into reporter mode, starts asking the hard questions, and he gets a little frazzled, I think. Yeah, because he's pissed. Yeah, he's pissed. Because <laughs> they, they're all celebrating because they passed the inspection or the... Or what, oh, what yeah, yeah. Like a, a That's a good thing to talk about. Because, so after this incident happens, this almost accident happens, they have to get it reviewed by the NRC which is the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. It's the uh, American governmental body that makes sure all the reactors are safe. So they come in and they interview all the reactor operators trying to figure out what happened and if the reactor is safe or not. And Jack Lemmon basically says it was an operator error. Like we talked about it earlier, where they had those gauges that showed the water level in the reactor. One said it was all the way up, another one said that it was all the way down. And the this commission asked him, well, why didn't you look at the other one? And Jack Lemmon goes, we should have. I don't know why. Yeah. That's actually what happens. What happened at TMI as well. It was an operator error. Yeah, TMI is Three Mile Island. Um, so there's a lot of perils, which is the freaky thing about this movie and what happened in that accident is that a lot of things like, the relief valve is stuck open. What happened at Three Mile Island? The relief valve was stuck open. <laughs> so it's, it's a very freaky thing in terms it's of timing and like coincidence. It's almost as if like they didn't want to pay the rights to tell the story of TMI, so they just went and made them like made the movie like I don't know. They sent someone back in time to make it, so it's like <laughs> technically we didn't need the rights because it hasn't happened yet. Genius. Yeah. Um, so he gets freaked yeah, was... out, right? And then so then the next day he goes and starts looking into the power plant. Being like, yeah, he starts just being like, I wonder what happens if we do that. Like, he kind of just like he's not, he he doesn't believe it. He's almost just trying to just reassure his confidence in yeah. it that he's just like, no, what's she talking about? This is right, isn't it? Uh, but so then no. he's like, I want to do these tests, and his boss is like, Come on, man, <laughs> <laughs> you really ruined this for us. My boss yeah. wants this power plant up and running. We're losing five hundred thousand dollars a day, which I'm assuming with inflation is a huge amount of money. Oh god, I didn't even think about that. I thought I, I thought half half a mil was already expensive enough, but then I thought that was nineteen seventy nine currency. Jesus, yeah. Let me pull up an inflation calculator on Google. Yeah, I'll do it. Okay, so that's roughly about one point eight million dollars a day. Yeah, so they're losing a lot of money, and the boss is like, yeah. "You can't do all these tests. That means we're going to be shut down." 
So he starts with a test where he wants to crank the pump, the pump that caused the reactor to reactor turbine to trip, which then caused the reactor to scram. So he wants to test that pump, crank it up to 110%. So the, he convinces his boss to do it, and the boss is like, shut it off now. He doesn't want to actually do the full test because that might yeah. create problems that then makes them lose money and corporate greed. That's the main theme of the movie. And then he starts examining the welds of all the pipes. And the idea behind this is that in theory, this is why nuclear power plants are so expensive to build, is that you need to do this non-destructive uh, assay of all of the parts. So that what you would do is the welds need to be like nuclear grade welds. So one, they yeah. need to support up to like 16 megapascals of pressure, which is huge. Like we would be flattened in 16 megapascals because yeah. this type of reactor is called a pressurized water reactor in order to make the water really hot. So that it's going up to maybe 450 degrees Celsius. You have to pressurize it so that it doesn't all boil yeah. away. So these welds need to be super strong to support that much pressure. So what you see in the movie is that he's, examining x-rays of the welds to make sure that they're of high quality so he's looking at them he's like of course it's good mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. he's confirming is what he believes and then he looks at two and he notices he's like wait a second and he slowly slides them over the ju- each other and he realizes they're the same x-ray so the company yeah. that was hired to do these examinations of the welds were like ah, that's so much fucking work let's just <laughs> let's just do the same x-ray a thousand times no one really cares we know they're good oh. Yeah, and what I loved about this was like this was like nineteen seventy nine technology where you just put two X rays beside, like you slid them behind each other. It's like it's the same. If like wind forward like twenty years, and this was the nineties, you know, it would have been like this horrible computer graphic yeah. of the two of them, like just pinpointing the similarities, <laughs> and then like a big hundred percent match thing popping up on the screen, like beep 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 beep. It's like my god. Yeah, there's no computers in this movie. She's on there on yeah. a typewriter, like. Yeah, oh my god, everything just seems so much more difficult. <laughs> like, my god, how do they have the time to do anything? Yeah, so then he, he runs home, and this is like, there's little parts of the movie that I think make it richer. Like, we were just talking about Kimberly's apartment, and you could tell it was kind of a bachelorette pad, where she had this kind of goofy stuff that a single woman might have. Like, she had this... Like a, like a tortoise. A tortoise, and she had this goose light that was hanging yeah. out. Dan, I think, I think as a married man, you've lost sight of what single women do. If you think that, like, just well, having large amphibian creatures are part of the usual. The well, norm. single women, I've noticed in their houses, <laughs> they are more creative and spunky. And then yeah. a woman in a couple nests more. So she wants it to yeah, be comfier. No, and, um, so they, they go back to Jack Lemon's apartment. And that's, that's also, I think they really deliberately choose what it was like. Because classically in the 70s, you wouldn't live in a place like that. You would have this American suburban dream where you had this big house and a big lawn. Yeah. And he goes back to like a, a condo or a townhouse and he's living yeah. by himself. And you see out the window, he's next to the highway. So this is clearly like a bachelor man. He doesn't have a relationship. He's trying to have sex with Jane Fonda's character. He's devoted his whole life to the nuclear power plant and his priorities work. He wants to live close to yeah. the highway so he can get to work really quickly. And, um, yeah, I think, like, there's little bits of the movie where I'm like, this is, I like this. They've sprinkled in a little bit of a yeah. <laughs> character building details there where you don't necessarily think about it, but you can kind of give an impression yeah. of what this man is like. Um, yeah, and, and like that, yeah, and you, yeah, you make such a good, because I, I kind of noticed, like, pointed out in a few of my notes, like, he's literally, he's at home, he's hunched over, he's in a vest, he's like, he's like what you're, it's almost like, it's become the parody now of like single man living by himself. He's eating like, a microwave meal. He's probably eating a microwave meal. Yeah, he's, he's, at, he's, that, he's having, he has like a can of beer in his hand. He's has a cigarette probably as well. He's watching, he's watching something on TV and he's like hunched over and you're just like, yeah, this is, you, you know so much more about his character because it's weird to see a character that's like, so like in the control room, he's so, he's in his element. It's obviously like you say, it's what he's committed his life to. So he's, uh, he's switched on. He's ready. He knows exactly what's going on. Everyone kind of listens to him. He's the boss. But when he goes home, he's just like, I just want to drink my beer and watch yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have that accent but it's like it's it's weird to see him that he's just clearly most comfortable at home nearly uh, sorry in, in, in work yeah that's his truer self rather than being at home and that's why it's such a big deal that he eventually becomes a whistleblower because yeah to be a whistleblower in a situation is really sacrificing his whole life because they even say before there's like a small conflict between after that um commission where they interview everyone with the nrc there's the reactor operator who's this kind of bald middle-aged guy with glasses and he has a conversation with with jack lemon and he says you're a navy guy everyone respects you and i'm just a civilian reactor operator and that that's very common in the nuclear industry because 
the first reactors were made by the Navy for submarines. Ah. So then everyone, all the first people who were trained on how a reactor works, all of the pumps and all those things worked on the submarine. And when they came out as civilians, they just immediately get hired in the nuclear industry. And they, they're really popular to get hired because those guys have to, like, it's drilled into them. It's like reflex, be able to hit dials and hit switches. Their training is really intense. After, like Part of their examination is they go, imagine there's a water droplet on the fuel. Trace this water droplet through the whole system back to the fuel again. You have to describe what happens to the temperature and the pressure and the, the state. Is it, like, liquid or gas? Yeah through this whole whole system, like the, the reactor system, the cooling system, and all this stuff. So these guys are, are really badass in terms of knowing how the engineering of these reactors works. So he really has done his whole life. He's worked on a nuclear yeah. submarine before, then he got hired into the civilian industry and helped build this reactor from the scratch. God, yeah, that's really cool. I didn't know that. But yeah, I, like I guess where where the kind of the guy who's kind of pushing us closer and closer to the truth being revealed is, is Michael Douglas's character because he's going out and he's trying to show the, the 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 film to like these other. There's like some conference or something like that. There's some N, NRC. Yeah. So the the background behind this is also that this same electric company is trying to build another reactor, and the NRC has um, a licensing phase where you have to get a permit to build the reactor and then a permit to operate the reactor. So then the public can come in and protest against the building of a reactor in their community. And this always happens. I've been to one of these uh, meetings before, and there's always people there going like, think of the children. You know that scene where they have they hold up the <laughs> yeah. picture of the children and be like, these are our children who have to live with this. And then they, there's people who put like the little gag on their mouths, you know, like, this is for the unspoken person who's going to be killed by the reactor. That still goes on today. These people are going to these NRC um, interviews, briefings, meetings, and protesting nuclear power. Yeah. And so, yeah, so yeah, that's the next thing. So she leaves the tiki bar and she runs to this thing, thinking that Michael Douglas's character is going to show the film at the hearing. So she's freaking out about it. And what's really happening is that he's in some room at the top of the whatever auditorium building this is, and he's showing the film to some sort of physics professor. Yeah. And then a nuclear engineer. So the nuclear engineer basically goes, hmm, this is interesting. I think this was close to being an accident. It could have been the China syndrome. <laughs> and then uh, both me and Jane Fonda at the same time was like, what's China syndrome? <laughs> and then I had it explained to me and I was like, ah, yes. China good thing syndrome. Jane Fonda, good thing Jane Fonda needed that explained to her because I knew exactly what it was. Definitely didn't need the movie to explain it to me. It doesn't make any sense at all, to be honest. Like, what could happen? So this this is one thing that can happen, is that when the core melts and it comes into contact with water, you can have a steam explosion. So you can have an explosion, but you're not going to have a nuclear explosion that wipes out the entire state of Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania is a big state. I don't know how many Ireland's fit into there, but I think it's a few. You leave that one with me. I'll get back to you. <laughs> so I don't understand. Like, when Chernobyl melted down, you can go online and you can see it. They call it the elephant's foot. And that's the whole core that's melted. And... You know, I was talking about the fence in depth where you have the reactor pressure vessel containing the fuel. It broke that level of defense in depth. And now the elephant's foot poured out and landed on the ground. And that thing is still hot. So that's still very reactive. Chernobyl was a disaster. But Chernobyl also didn't have the next layer of defense in depth, which was the containment building. So okay, yeah. every Western reactor has this thing that can, you know, like hit, get hit by missiles and planes and still stand and... The Soviet uh, reactor design didn't have that. So when it exploded, it wasn't contained by the containment building. It just blew up. Ah, okay. So and... that was 1979. Everyone knew about containment buildings, and Chernobyl was 1987. So it wasn't like oh. the technology, like the idea wasn't there. The Soviets were just didn't want to build it. <laughs> they didn't want the cost of the reinforced concrete. Yeah. Uh, just to go back slightly, uh, Ireland, uh, about 1.41 Ireland's fit inside of Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's smaller than I go. thought. But, um, but yeah, um, but it was so cool uh, to see uh, these kind of guys obviously breaking it down and explaining what's happening. And they're kind of walking through like, oh, I can't see what that dial is, but that's probably what he's doing in this situation as they're trying to like look at this footage that Michael Douglas had recorded of the incident and trying to trying to understand exactly what what had been going on. Uh, question for you: What did you think of the layout of the control room? Because I have a I have a fact about it. So I've been in a few control yourself. rooms, and I don't know about the layout because it's never like I learned where all the buttons are. But just looking at it, it looks very realistic to me. 
But what if I told you that it's based upon the control room at the Trojan Nuclear Power Plant in Oregon, along the Columbia River? So apparently that, at the time that was the only nuclear power plant that offered tours uh inside so the production crew obviously only had one thing to work work off of, so they just copied that and it was like yeah we'll throw that in the movie it looks so, really realistic there you go michael douglas as a producer who knew obviously attention to detail was a big thing like obviously you can't see what's on the dials and things like that but oh. just like glancing at it I'm like yeah it's a control room sure and it's yeah not- it definitely has a lot of the features too like you know how um eventually they lock the door and they don't let people in the control room that's a very yeah. standard feature as well so now this nuke engineer goes, yeah, this reactor's dangerous. China syndrome could happen. Yeah. And now Jane Fonda gets really motivated that this is a real story. And how does it happen that she gets back in touch with the Jack Lemmon character and now that he wants to be a whistleblower? So he, he, he takes these radiograph images of the welds to the person who did the welds. And he goes, you, like, what's going on here? You guys, we need to redo these welds. And the guy's like, fuck off, you're ruining our, our thing. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mess with my business. And then at the end, as Jack Lemmon gets pissed off, he's like, I'm going to the NRC. Um, the guy's like, Don't you know who we are? Like, we are these big construction companies. We have a security detail. So he's basically like threatening him with some muscle. And Jack Lemmon runs away and goes back to his house, uh, convinced that he's going to report it to the NRC. So how do they get back into contact? So eventually they come to agreement that um, Jack Lemmon doesn't want to talk to the press. What he's going to do is give these x-ray images of the welds to Jane Fonda. And they're going to take them to the next NRC hearing. Yeah, so what happens is uh, like Kimberly and Richard show up at his house. And he's like, hey, hey, you listen here, Jack. You you need to get your shit together. All this stuff is happening. And he's and like, the reverse op reaction they were expecting, where he just goes, I know, right? It's crazy. I can't believe this. Oh, you guys, I'm so on your team right now. <laughs> Definitely wouldn't want to be blaming me for any of this. I'm switching teams. <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, that is what happens. Uh, yeah, so they show up, and then, so he's like, look, I'm at, like, look at these radiographs, uh, and, and they're very much like, oh, well, you, you know, come to this conference, and or this hearing, uh, stop the license for another one. And he's like, well, I can't do it, uh, because, like you say, he doesn't want to be a whistleblower. So um, what he does is he goes, if I give you the radiographs, can you then get the one of the other scientists at the conference or the hearing to be able to decipher it and prove that there is a problem and it needs to be fixed so uh, this is where the movie gets real dark in my opinion because uh, up until now it was just these corporate guys in suits being dickheads and then they turn into like bigger dickheads in the sense that you know murder has brought has been brought yeah. into this plot <laughs> we're gonna murder these people now because we don't want to come out yeah so he like meets uh, Michael Douglas's I don't know assistant cameraman at a truck stop and hands over the radiograph images and literally they know that they're being followed or at least this guy Hector doesn't know that he's being followed by the muscle of this company now so as Hector's driving down the road he gets hit by this big van and I was thinking like Hector's driving a nice car I think he could get away from this van yeah that's what I was thinking (laughs) but anyway they drive Hector off the road it's a really nice crash scene like old school where they actually crash the car yeah because it, it's fucking brutal like it's like it just you know the way like it, these days it, you would see like the flips from different angles where they were like look we're, we're, we're we crashing shot. one of these we got one shot we're showing this one shot of this car crash and go and like it falls off and obviously does a couple of rolls but there's maybe like four or five after that where you're like holy shit this car has been minced yeah this guy people died in car crashes in the 70s yeah and then I will issues. say, like, as horrific as the car crash is, they open the door, like, the paramedics, like, open the door to look at Hector, and he looks like he's got two paper cuts on his face. Like, he looks untouched and unscathed from this horrific car crash. So, they, yeah, they try to kill him. They also try, they follow Jack Lemmon's character out of his house, and he sees that he's getting tailed. So there's a nice little chase scene going on, a classic car chase scene. He's driving off the highway, and eventually he gets in his head, they can't follow me into the power plant. Yeah. So he drives to the power plant, gets past security, and they can't follow him. So now he's in there, and the hearing doesn't happen because the oh the hearing happens, but they don't present the evidence that the welds are are maybe bad. We don't know yet. Yeah. So yeah, Jack Lemmon's still concerned about the safety of the power plant, and this is where he really starts unraveling. I, w- I would wonder yeah. if he if it's the stress of being almost maybe murdered that leads him oh, to do this. Oh God, yeah. But he goes into the power plant, and 
takes control of the control room. So there's a security guard there with a gun, takes the gun, and he's like, everybody get out of here. This place, this thing isn't safe. Because <laughs> I'm here now with a gun. <laughs> Still at this point, you don't really know if it's safe or not. You know what I mean? Like, you, maybe we yeah. can trust Jack Lemmon's character, but at this point he he feels a vibration when they scram the reactor, which, okay, is that is that a problem? You don't really know. And he thinks that uh, the welds might be a problem, but he doesn't really know either. So he's yeah. kind of just on a hunch here. Um, so you can almost, depending on how you want to interpret the movie, it could almost be about like a paranoid guy yeah. who is getting convinced that there's this conspiracy to get out to get him, where there's really not a problem. And yeah. the conspiracy like makes his psyche unravel, and eventually he like goes crazy and takes a gun and seizes the control room yeah it like the characters are so um likable that you believe he's right but yeah you can imagine if they did it a little bit differently the whole tone of the movie could be actually the psychological thriller where this guy goes insane he constructs this conspiracy theory in his mind i bet you could do like a director's cut or edit where you could tell that story if you wanted to yeah have you ever seen the trailer for the uh the horror movie cut of mrs doubtfire no Oh, I'll send it to you after this. I'll put it in the link of this uh, of this episode if people want to watch it, just because it's gas. Uh, but I feel like you could do something the same as, as that. I've seen a cut of that for that movie Passengers that had um, uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence, Lawrence in it. Surprise. Yeah, where it's actually a horror movie. So she w- the movie yeah. should start where she wakes up and thinks this guy is super nice, and then slowly she finds out that he, <laughs> he's a psycho who woke her up because yeah. he was lonely. That would have been a much better movie yeah. than like this kind of happy romance movie. But yeah, you could do with that director's cut where it's really this guy psychologically unraveling it and inventing this conspiracy theory. And it's kind of like Joker, nearly. Yeah, like Joker. Yeah. And you never know. It's always, because no, in my opinion, it's still an open question if this reactor was safe or not, depending how you interpret the end of the movie. Go he seizes the control room and he goes, I want to talk to Jane Fonda. <laughs> <laughs> so then the, the corporate people yeah, are like... You know, I, I, yeah, there could be a horror movie cut where he's just obsessed with Jane Fonda instead and he's he's willing to take control of a power yeah. plant just to... She turned him down at the tiki bar and now he's like, <laughs> yeah. Jane Fonda, you're going to yeah, be my wife. <laughs> if you don't gonna... come here and marry me, I'm going to blow up the reactor. Me, you and your tortoise are going to be a happy family. We're going to sit and watch shitty TV and have beers on the couch like real families. <laughs> So then the, the corporate guys are like, oh, well, fuck him. Why should we bring Jane Fonda in the press here? And then one of them goes, well, yeah. he could open some valve and contaminate the contaminate the containment building. So like, okay, so we should bring her. So they come, she comes, they let her into the control room. Um, Michael Douglas's character comes and he records from like the viewing chamber of the control room through the microphone. Yeah. So then... This guy wants to give his testimony about why the reactor is not safe. And at the same time, the corporate people are like, how can we stop him from having control? So they order in a SWAT team. The SWAT team comes with a blowtorch and they're trying to get through these double doors that protect the control room. And then they send other people who work at the plant to try to scram the reactor. And if they mm-hmm. scram the reactor, the thing shuts down. And theory, he so right now he's operating at 75% power. When you, so the big thing about shutting down a reactor is that you shut down the fission chain, but it still produces heat. Mm-hmm. So that thing, they said it's 800 megawatts, but a classic reactor now is uh, 3,000 megawatts. Oh. But when you shut down a reactor, you shut down the fission chain, but there's still radioactive fission products in it that are decaying away. So it will still produce about 2% of its nominal power. So if you shut down 3,000 megawatts, it's going down to 60 megawatts, which is what, like 2 million light bulbs. So that's a classic problem with reactors is that even if you shut down the fission chain reaction, you have to keep cooling them. And that was the problem yeah. at Fukushima is that um, they shut down the reactor and when the tidal wave came in, so the, the earthquake shut off the um, like power from the grid so they couldn't run the pumps anymore, but they had backup generators. But when they turned the backup generators on, tidal wave came in and knocked out the backup generators. So then they couldn't cool yet remaining 60 megawatts power anymore in the reactors. And eventually the core became uncovered, which they talk about in the movie as being a problem. And then the big problem is that this metal clad I was talking about with defense in depth, it's made out of um, zirconium. And zirconium will react with water to produce hydrogen gas. Oh. That's also an exothermic reaction. 
So if you expose it, and I think at about 730 degrees, something around that number of Celsius, it starts becoming... Mm, uh, yes, yeah, sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> it starts becoming self-sustaining. So mm. the, the amount of energy released by this chemical reaction is enough to uh, make more heat and produce more hydrogen gas. And you know hydrogen gas explodes. So that's yeah. actually, the reactor didn't explode at Fukushima. What exploded was the hydrogen gas. So anyway, um, he's keeping this reactor at 75% power, and they're like, let's scram it. So then he, it, the power goes down. So in theory, it would still be producing power. And he could probably still do some damage, but he can't do it in the way he wants to by opening that relief valve. Yeah. So simultaneously, they're trying to sabotage his interview with Jane Fonda. Yeah. And he starts the interview, and you're like, this guy actually looks crazy. <laughs> He's doing such a bad job. Like, so, yeah, it's great because it's this, this is what I was talking about at the beginning, just about the ending being so tense because you've got the squat, the, the SWAT team trying to infiltrate. You've got the guys trying to scram. You've got the news team even just trying to get there on time because they're late and they're trying to get there on time. He's trying to prepare. And just one thing I haven't mentioned so far uh, about this movie is there's just a lack of score or music at all oh, yeah. and apparently that was an intentional choice because they wanted it to come across like it was very realistic and like a documentary nearly or like a you know like it was real life they were recording so they didn't put a lot of music in it there was just one score that played the odd time um, but this scene there's no music to hype it up everything the filmmakers are doing is tense because of the moving parts and the shots and understanding what the stakes are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you say, when he starts talking, you were like, finally, because you thought they, they might scram it before he starts talking or the SWAT team might get in before he starts talking. And then he starts talking. You're like, great, cool. He's going to deliver the message and people will understand. But he makes an absolute, much like me and my college Viva, <laughs> a nervous wreck that didn't make much sense. Yeah, he starts trying to explain the technical details. He's like, the relief of the everyone's like what the fuck's he talking about yeah. michael douglas is like, like oh no he's getting too tactical yeah, yeah i know because i was even like that i was like oh, man we don't need to know the specifics and then michael douglas is like you're too technical and i was like yes i love this because uh, like the release valve and uh and then i went over to the release valve and i reduced the pressure of that and he's like just get to the fucking point come on pe- people at home will turn this shit off and i feel like the stress is also augmented because in the back of your mind like this reactor could explode at any moment. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So there's these, there's those, all of those factors going on. And you're right. They do a really good job with the filmography of making it feel stressful. For instance, I didn't really notice before you said this that it's supposed to feel like a documentary. But if you notice when the, the camera crew is trying to rush in to get to film this control room, they have actually someone carrying the camera and they're running with it. And they're chasing yeah. after uh, Michael Douglas. So it does kind of feel like a documentary because it's not, it's not like a like a steady cam following him. It's really supposed to be like, I'm running yeah. with this camera and it's really urgent. We're trying to get to that room. So then he he starts to get to the gist of it. And it seems like he gets a little bit more composed and he's gonna talk about the welds and all of these things. And then the SWAT team busts in, and yeah. he runs away and they and they shoot his character. Shoot. But they cut, they cut the feed just before that. So just as he was starting to make sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, while all this is happening, there's some corporate douches up there just being dicks for the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're being like, yeah, go on and do your interview. As, and in the back of their heads, they're like, yeah, we've got something up our sleeves. But yeah, they cut the feed just as the SWAT team get in. Yeah, so there's these tense scenes where he's like making eye contact with the chairman of the board. And he's like, yeah. I'm going to do it. The chairman of the board's like, I'm going to fucking ruin you. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and they they can't hear each other because one's in the control room and one's in this observation chamber. But they're just looking at each other, like shooting laser beams <laughs> between each other's eyes. Yeah, so yeah. They, they, they do scram the reactor. And this is exactly what the guy doesn't want to happen. They, they induce a, like a, a turbine trip which scrams the reactor. And the guys, so Jack Lemmon's character is like, <laughs> you idiots! No. You blew it all off. <laughs> this is exactly what I didn't want you to do. <laughs> so he's running around freaking out. And he starts like turning dials and poking buttons. And as he runs across to turn another one, the SWAT team busts in and shoots him a few times. And he he's on the ground like I'm dying. <laughs> and everyone runs in, yeah. and Jane Fonda's like looking at him, and he's like on the ground dying, and he's like, I feel it. This is the vibration that he thinks is going to blow yeah. up the reactor. So his last thoughts before he's dying is like, I feel it's going to blow up. And then um, the reactor, the actual control rod scram happens. And then the whole thing, all the, the alarm goes off, all the lights are flashing. And you're like, this is it. The reactor's going to blow up. And um, 
I also think that made it really tense is that what happens now is that during the whole movie, as things are happening in the reactor, there's this old school printer that prints out like oh yes status yes. things where it's like relief valve open, scram inactuated, and it always ends with like incident A- over event, yeah or, incident over event duration twenty minutes yeah. or two minutes or whatever. Yeah. So it's always printing out in the movie, which is also really stressful because you kind of have to wait for it to go to print out the the reading, and then so this crazy thing happens: the lights, the alarms going off. And then the lights turn back on, and then it goes, beep, 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 incident ended. So yeah. this accident that Jack thought was going to happen didn't happen. Yeah. And so then he died. Well, yeah, and while died. all that was happening, he died. So his last thoughts are that the reactor has just blown up, and he's killed everyone in Southern California. Oh, like, that is such a... Like, I don't know... Like, I don't know about you, but I kind of wanted it to blow up because I just thought for this movie it would be so bizarre if it did blow up. But then I was so happy that it didn't blow up because of, like, what happens after it. But, like, man, did this movie keep me guessing about it because I was like, I think I'm going to fucking blow this bit. Like, <laughs> what? And, like, I, I was literally... Because I know that was, this was great about me knowing nothing about the movie because I, li- I didn't know how it ended. And I was just like, what the fuck is going to happen? And it's been a long time where, like, I haven't been able to be like, this is probably going to happen. This is probably, like, where I've been completely... Unsure of whether it was going to happen or not. So I, I, for the, I, I just love that part of this movie. So then this is what I mean where it's like, you could interpret this movie as this guy like psychologically unraveling and believing a conspiracy theory. And um, like going crazy, taking his control room by force, forcing a reporter team to come and get his confession. And then when the incident actually happens, it's not a big deal. Like there was no core meltdown, nothing like that. And... Is this movie about him unraveling and corporate greed and corporate cover-up, all that sort of things? Or was there actually a problem? So I think that's, that's an interesting thing. You can interpret it any way you want. So then he's dead. They all come outside, and there's this big scene with all the news teams and reporters. So the company man's like, Jack Lemmon was a drunk, and he took this yeah. reactor by Gibson. force. I fucking hated this this guy. <laughs> this guy was just such a weasel. That I can't believe I haven't... Because literally any time he did something, I just screamed at the TV, fucking Gibby here. Doesn't re- like, he was just such a weasel. He's... Oh, any time... He just had such a weasel haircut. I just hated this Even guy. Even his bad jokes at the beginning of the movie. Oh, everything about him. They're on oh, this, like, support crane. He's like, it can support several tons. So I think it should be able to support us. <laughs> He's making those, like, fucking, weasel... Fucking Gibby. <laughs> But yeah, so he gives that he gives that uh, uh, like press. He goes out to the press and he's like, absolutely nothing to worry about. Everything's fine. Madman took control. He was clearly drunk. There was reports of him being drunk. Who knows what happened? He's a lunatic. He's insane. Um, and then Jane Fonda kind of hears all this and is just getting quite upset that his kind of Jack's sort of um, what's what's the word? Uh, sort of legacy is being tainted by all this. Yeah. So she runs up and like shoves the microphone in Jack's friend's face. So this was the civilian guy we were talking about. The civilian op- yeah. reactor operator. And at the start, he's like, no comment, no comment. I don't yeah. know. And then eventually he kind of like also gets emotional because Jane Fonda is such a good reporter. It's asking yeah. the hard questions. And he goes, like, Jack was my best friend. Jack was like, knew everything about this reactor. He wouldn't have done this like on a whim. He's not a drunk. Um, if he did this, there was something wrong with the reactor. And um, yeah, and then so then it pans away and they pan back to Jane Fonda. Be like, Jane, keep doing a reporting thing but she's just like an yeah. emotional wreck because she just watched this guy get murdered yeah and this is that scene where i was like, saying you can tell she's really good at acting right there because she's yeah. just like you can tell she's putting all these emotions on her face and thoughts are going through her mind yeah and what i what and the last thing like one of the other things i loved about this movie was a lot of it like a lot of it takes place from like news vans and news studios and stuff like that so we see like the inner workings of how like journalism works and stuff and one of the cool things that this movie used quite a lot was um there'd be like two monitors and there'd be like the live feed and then like the feed they're about to cut to so a lot of the times you would see this the the main anchorman guy who's a bit of a dick being like uh, oh and what's over here now and then it like cuts to kimberly doing her like puff piece on i don't know the circus birthday whatever the fuck i don't know but he's just like what's this there what's going on or just be like dickish and we kind of get an idea of that like she's not really appreciated in work but it's used so well then in the in these late latter scenes because we have the the douchebag anchorman being like oh i don't know what all that's about and then the second monitor kind of just showing like what's what's going on and the craziness of everything and uh, and just being able to see that duality of like what's shown to people but also what's happening at the same time and as the audience we'd only really see 
what's happening, how the movie would be shown to us. But it's kind of interesting to see, like, if this movie was to put, be put through the lens of, like, news media, it would mm. be presented in such a different way. But as we have these two monitors looking at us, it's a really cool way to, to kind of tell that last act of the movie, which I, I just really enjoyed yeah, that. That's a very good point. Through that, like, anti-establishment lens where the media is filtering the real story from you or for yeah. you, and you're not seeing what Jane Fonda has just seen. So I'm, then, a big, I'm a big time hippie. Me, me and Michael Douglas, we, we, we went to Woodstock together. We're good pals. <laughs> so then, uh, I don't know if, what you thought about the very end of the movie. Because it, you know how it cuts with the stripes and the beep? Yeah. Which, so some people interpret that as like the signal cutting off of Jane Fonda there. Hmm. And like, well, why did the signal cut off? So a lot of people think it's like an ellipsis moment where the reactor actually exploded. Ah, okay, I didn't think that. Yeah. I'd so, be interested. That would be kind of interesting. Oh, I, I fucking missed that. Shit. I mean, like, I was, uh, to be honest, I was far too enthralled with that microwave commercial. I was like, <laughs> you're telling me, you're fucking telling me that all the other housewives, there's like five housewives, four of them are like manually turning their fucking rotisserie chicken, and then we have the one in the middle just flipping it through a news like paper, like the TV guide. And I was like, you're telling me I could be reading the TV guide as I cook my microwave dinners? <laughs> <laughs> through this rotational technology so game I missed changer. anything important after that rotate anything your casserole important. that's a game changer <laughs> yeah so if you uh, watch it you can interpret the end however you want you can be like Jack was right the reactor did explode but I think it's more interesting the way it is if you don't assume the reactor exploded that it was in theory safe there's unsafe aspects of it there's corporate yeah. greed covering it up there's journalism can be in cahoots with, with other corporations to cover it up as well I think that aspect is more interesting. Um, but you, if you want, you can think it blew up. Yeah. I'm just going to think. I'm going to say it didn't blow up and Jack was right and Gibby fell into the reactor at one point and exploded. <laughs> but just himself. I don't know. Just if Gibby could... Why couldn't they shoot Gibby? That's all, I, his name is Gibson, but I, call, I refer to him <laughs> as Gibby in honour of iCarly for the majority of this movie and my notes. He's just such a... Ah, there's something about him I don't like it. I like it better if Jack was wrong. Okay. Um, but being a nuclear engineer like yourself, I yeah, I think I'm biased. Just think that, yeah, you're part of the problem, man. You're not asking the right questions. <laughs> the man has got you in his pocket. I you're saw... not seeing things like I do, man. I saw an accident. That was an accident, <laughs> not an incident. Me and Michael Douglas, we're going to the hearings. We're going to do the whole thing. We're going to show pictures of babies. We're going to gag our mouths and say with the unspoken air, have an issue with this reactor. I'm coming, as soon as I can travel to America, I'm going to come and protest all of the plants you work on. So how do you feel about nuclear reactors after watching this? Could you imagine uh, uh, not knowing anything, watching this movie and being like, we should shut those fuckers down? Ah, no, they seem safe enough. Like, how many are there and how long have we had them for and how long have they not blown up? Like, I'm sure there's some statistic out there of, obviously, Chernobyl aside, um, deaths per year due to nuclear power plants versus something, I don't know, like, cigarettes. One is used a lot more than the other, like... Even compared to, like, wind turbines, because people fall off them. (laughs) Like, sadly, (laughs) people who go up through maintenance fall down and they die, so routinely a lot of people die because of wind power. It depends, like, do you count that as an accident? I do. I think if, like, if something kills you, yeah. it's an accident. <laughs> or, like, yeah. uh, hydro... You wouldn't say people who fall off a cliff saying there's been 20 cliff murders this year. Yeah. <laughs> like, hydropower, those dams break semi-frequently and they kill people. There's a famous one in China. No, actually, it's not famous. I think it should be famous. It's called the Bankiao Dam. Broken, I don't remember, I think early 70s. And it killed over 100,000 people. Jesus Christ! So, some of it was directly from dying from, like, getting hit by water. Like, it's a huge tidal wave. And then also just, like, wiped out this whole region. And a lot of people starved to death. Jesus. So, it's like, well, hydropower's way more dangerous than nuclear power. Just in terms of how many people it's killed. But you're not going to find many people uh, protesting against building dams. Because yeah. it's not... Uh, yeah, I still think I... It doesn't stimulate the imagination the same way that radiation and exploding reactors and nuclear bombs does. That's true. I still don't think the Irish will be on board of it. We tried to we tried to put in uh, water meters a while ago, and there was a fucking national riot about it. So I think if they were if they were going to put a nuclear power plant in like Leitrim or Cavan or something like that, I imagine it would cause a bit of uproar. What was that famous protest that were going on about nuclear power plants? Uh, yeah, there was, that there was, was like Irish Woodstock. 
it's a bit before my time uh, by about 20 years uh, but I, I, you mentioned it and I was like what the fuck's that about but yeah there, there was apparently supposed to be a nuclear power plant in Waterford uh, in Ireland but there was a lot of protests and you made a very good point that it was like you wonder if there was a what you call it a, a, a correlation between people seeing this movie and kind of being slightly outraged by it and also just the Irish being resistant to change at all times so I'm going to butcher this because I always butcher every name in that's Irish Carnsore. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, they're right. Carnsore. So I'd say it. Yeah, it's in Wexford. Actually, it's pronounced Saoirse Ronan. You Americans are always getting that one wrong. And it, it, actually, so those protests look like they lasted over several years, from like through through when this movie came out, like 1978, 1979, 1980. So yeah, so it looks like they happened from 1978 to 1981. So I would imagine these people probably saw this movie and were heavily influenced by it as well, thinking that it wasn't safe. And of course they were influenced by that Three Mile Island accident as well. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, um, so yeah, quite a quite an impactful movie on many fronts, both both potentially uh, you know, here in Ireland, but also definitely stateside. So um, from a movie that I fucking knew nothing about and didn't have a fucking idea of what it, anything to do with, what it had to do with anything, I can say I'm immensely glad you picked this. And not only that, but to get a new... To like, like, I'm not qualified to talk about movies anyway, but when it comes to nuclear power, I'm even less qualified. So I'm glad that we able you were able to come on and be able to, like, explain a lot of the stuff that I would have butchered if you weren't here. So thank you for that. No problem. Uh, and thanks and thanks for coming on and doing this it's very much appreciated I know it's fucking early there in LA or California at the moment so uh, and it's your day off so I appreciate that as well no problem at all it's not too early plus I have my little dog here he's been licking me this whole thing yeah Rolo the, Rolo, the official podcast dog I think I think that dog has more podcast appearance than any other dog because he's just he's in frame of the zoom the majority of the time <laughs> yeah so if you, I'd say if uh People weren't too bored by me talking about the technical details. If you ever get... Like, the series Chernobyl is more like a five-hour movie than a series. Yeah. So it has oh, a game fuck, it's end. five hours. Yeah. Isn't That's it four episodes, thing. maybe? It's, it's five or four. It's about, yeah. It's, I've watched it. It's very good. Yeah, I recommend we, to anyone listening. We could talk about that. That's that's hard to tackle in a single podcast. That one is interesting from a, like a nuclear power plant perspective because it was just such a shitty reactor. <laughs> yeah. Like, you would look at that, and it's not like, oh, they designed it in a certain way, and we learn from our mistakes. No, they, everyone knew not to design a reactor like that, and they <laughs> did it anyway. It'd be like putting, yeah. I don't know, the gas tank of your car right next to the engine so that when it crashes and the sparks fly up, the gas explodes. And just being like, well, if you put it up there, it's, uh, it has this other advantage. It's like, yeah, no, it's don't cheaper. put the gas tank next to the engine. Everyone knows that. That's stupid. Yeah. Yeah, well, what we do, we won't we won't discuss Chernobyl too much in case we do. We do save it for a later pod, and we want to, you know, get get those clicks in, get those views, get those downloads. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like and subscribe if you want to. Hear yeah. That. If 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 anyone wants to hear Dan's Chernobyl podcast, um, uh, tweet at us yeah. or I don't. Th- 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 there's a Twitter. It's called at Reeling the Peers. I never use it, but tweet that or go on the Instagram at at Reeling in the Peers. <laughs> and if you want to know when new ones are coming up they go on the Instagram there as well you can follow on Spotify you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts Mr. Do- sorry not Mr. Dr. Dan yeah. finally once again thank you very much for coming on I very much appreciate it no problem thank you Gary it was fun thank- it was great fun and I can't wait to have you back and finally I want to say thank you to anyone who's listened to this or any of the other ones we really hope you enjoy.